Hey, what's up? It's your boy, Health Coach Lou, and you're listening to the Smart Talk Podcast. You're going to hear specific, measurable, attainable, realistic, and right-on-time health and wellness conversations. Enjoy! Hello, everyone, and thank you for listening to the Smart Talk podcast. I have a special guest in the building. I have Dr. Bunming. How are you doing this morning? Well, afternoon for you, I guess. I'm very well, yes. It's just after 12 o'clock, so it's afternoon here in London, but I'm very, very well. The sun is shining, and uh, yeah, I'm uh, I'm looking forward to this um, podcast. Awesome. Well, well, hey, um, like everyone, I'm I'm really uh, interested in your story and how you started. I know we're going to talk a lot about what you do with with food addiction, um, which I think is very important. Um, a lot of people are, a lot of people experience it, especially a lot of patients that I see with um, with chronic disease, and maybe they feel like they are, you know, have some type of food addiction. But I really want to speak with you and get your um, get your expertise. So if you can kind of explain to us, you know, where, where your journey started. Well, my journey started back in, well, it was before 2008, but I had a huge burnout in 2008. Um, I'm a doctor by profession, um, multitasking, everything just got too much. And for quite a long time, I was um, depressed, anxious, um, just it was just very difficult and I had a huge burnout in 2008 where I just shut down um I was in recovery um in um for um the burnout so I was in kind of rehab so there was addiction involved such as alcohol and turning my life around started when I left rehab and took time off work I took nine months off and I began my own recovery journey um, alcohol was one of them, uh, which had stopped. I am now 12 years sober and happily so. But the other one was food. Thank you very much. So the other one was food and food such as sugar, um, carbs, anything high in fat, sugars and salt. So I swapped one thing for another. So I swapped the alcohol for food. That was my comfort. Now, at the time, I didn't realize that there was any similarities at all because it was better to, you know, to eat this right, you know, not drink. And it took me a little bit of time to come to the realisation that there was similar, I had similar habits, similar feelings I had that I wanted to stuff down. So stuffing down my feelings with food rather than numbing my feelings with alcohol. And, you know, I did my research, um, I, I did more work, et cetera, on myself. And I came to the realization they were very, very similar. Uh, so it was food addiction. So I looked up food addiction and I was just became really passionate because there are millions and millions of people out there who need, you know, need help because they do not know what they're suffering from. So I was suffering from what we call a phenomenon of craving. So the minute I had one piece of a donut or a piece of cake, I couldn't stop. Now I used to think I was just lazy or I was greedy. I had no willpower and I started to feel really bad again. So there was that feeling of for shame. But one thing that I found was I became very obsessed with food. 
Um, it was something that was overriding and overwhelming during the day. The minute I woke up, I thought about food. Um, I planned I planned everything. Um, I'd buy my donuts, my cakes, my biscuits, and it wouldn't be one biscuit, but the whole thing. And I couldn't understand why I was doing what I was doing until I found um, this word, the phenomenon of craving. And the phenomenon of craving is like a tissue hunger. So once you have a bite of something, your whole body, your brain just goes into overdrive and is compelled to eat. And that's exactly how I felt. I felt as though I was compelled that somebody was driving me at knife point in my back um, to eat something even against my will. So when I discovered that term, I realized that there was also a solution. And that was similar to somebody who was addicted to something. So anyway, I got very passionate about this and I became um, a qualified recovery coach um, in 2017. And that's helping, for me, my own part, helping professionals with um, addictions, shopping, gambling, alcohol, drugs and food. So when I set up my practice, it was primarily for alcohol and, and drugs. But what I was beginning to experience were people saying she does... Uh, she helps people with, with with eating disorders or disordered eating. And it became a practice where people were coming to me with stress eating, emotional eating, anxiety, compulsive eating, and then full-blown food addiction. Um, many were obese, many had diabetes, and just couldn't stop, were, were felt like failures, felt a lot of shame, a lot of guilt, that they'd let themselves down. And also, you know, letting the their doctors down because, you know, the doctors kept chastising them. Why are you, why are you not sticking to your plan? And it was just a very, very simple explanation that with a phenomenon of craving, the minute you have something that's highly processed or if it's alcohol, it sets off this reaction in your body where it doesn't matter what your logical thinking says, you want to eat that food. It doesn't matter how intelligent right. you are. You're given A, which is healthy food, B, which is unhealthy food. And you say, what's the choice? And when you're in full-blown food addiction, you will have the unhealthy one. Knowing full well that it's bad for you, knowing full well it could give you heart problems, cardiovascular, um, diabetes, high cholesterol, you'll still go for, for B. So once I kind of explain that to a client or the client's, they kind of understood, right, okay, so there's a scientific reason why this is happening. You know, there's a reason why I'm doing this. I'm not fat and lazy. Um, there's a neurochemical imbalance or there's a neurochemical change. And indeed, what has been found in medical research is that there's been, there is a, what we call a, a, a rewiring of the brain. So that what happens is, the intelligent part of your brain, which is the cerebral cortex, the front part of your brain, it's like the CEO, CEO of your brain. So it, it kind of gives you the decision making, um, all of that. So it makes decisions, makes sensible decisions on food, morality, values, whatever. What happens when you have something that's neurochemically damaging with food? it actually bypasses the front part of the brain, the prefrontal cortex and the cortex. And it goes straight to the what we call the limbic system, which is kind of the, the brain that wants the reward 
um, wants that pleasure. So mm-hmm. foods are certain foods, processed foods are highly dense, artificially created products, which light up that limbic system. And that's what they're designed to do is to light up that pleasure system. So you want more and more and more of it. So my capacity, what do I do? I help people who to overcome food addiction, um, compulsive eating, erratic eating and disordered eating with certain behavior changes, strategies, techniques, Because what we're realizing now is that this isn't going away. The food industry is still going to be manufacturing these particular types of foods and the varieties are getting bigger. Um, So, you know, we're facing an an epidemic or a pandemic, but we have to take responsibility. And as soon as those clients realize that that's what they're suffering from, it's like a huge relief. For me, it was a big relief. I felt relieved when I knew that it wasn't because I was lazy or greedy or had no willpower. And in many ways, there's no such thing as willpower when you're food addicted um, or you're stress eating. So we have to think of ways to overcome this, use different approaches. So when we have the medical profession or the diet industry saying stick to this and you'll lose weight, invariably a lot of people will bounce back and probably put on more weight um, because they haven't, um, said uh, addressed the underlying issues, whether it's emotional, right. whether it's right. chemical, right. that these issues need to be addressed first. So merely, you know, overeating, compulsive eating is merely a symptom of what's really, really going on. And once that that is addressed with a with a client, with a patient, then it's a journey of what we call wellness, and we and I set up a what I call an ecosystem which draws on many different um, parameters to help and support that client to wellness. And it should be a journey where I always say, don't look at the weight loss yet. We have to look at your emotional journey first, get you into that right space, that right thinking. So meeting where, you know, meeting the client where they're at is very important um, for their, for their journey through. And people are are looking to have a a life that's congruent, you know, their, their health, is congruent with their ambitions, so the inner matches the outer. So when they get to realise all this and what can be achieved and and with the support that's given, it's massive success. Yeah, I mean, you you got you, yeah. you said a lot I mean, there, and I, I want to kind of um, kind of talk a little bit about that because there was a lot of good things in there. So what what I got from that is, you know, and I, I do the same thing with the people that I see, you have to start with their foundation. And for some people going into maybe a weight loss journey or not really understanding that maybe they may have an emotional eating or a food addiction, um, the diet isn't the foundation of, of their journey. Yeah. Most of the time it's a, it's a no. part of their journey. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think where a lot of people may find trouble in weight loss or whatever the case may be is they start with that, with that diet or their, their eating plan. That's not, and that's not going to save you. you, especially if you, if you haven't covered, if you don't have a strong foundation and um, then we can start looking at weight loss. I, I see people all the time where, I'm afraid to get them, put them on the scale because I know what it's going to do to them mentally. 
You know what I mean? It's like yeah. we're we're not there yet. We don't even have to worry about your weight because we got to figure some exactly. things at this foundational level first. Um, and you know something else I wanted to talk talk to you about. You know, it's it's funny to me because um, I never heard anybody say I just I just can't stop eating fruits and vegetables. You know, like it's my addiction is exactly. you know our carrots and you know what I mean and um. And what was it's it's the with, with the food industry was was kind of scary about it is not only is it highly addictive, you know, for it's it's pretty damn cheap too. Like it, it's so it's it's affordable, but it's also so you're almost someone has to decide: do I purchase something? Um, and maybe you have this conversation with your with your client. So I'm I'm curious on what your thoughts are on this. You may have someone who is like, do I do I buy more food for uh, for my budget? But I know it's killing me, or do I buy buy healthier choices, which may be more expensive? You know, how, how do you work with patients who may have that challenge? Um, I let them look at the big vision, really. And you know, this may take, you know, a few sessions before, you know, they, they kind of understand the, the reality of it. And the big picture is, you know, they may have children. They may not grow up to see their kids. Um, I look at right. the long, big picture. The big vision is, you know, where can you see yourself in five years' time if you continue like this? Or where can you see yourself in five years' time if you... You know, we follow this lovely wellness journey. And is it a case of, you know, you want to be disabled, you, you, you're you housebound, you know, you have heart conditions, there's an insurance system that you can't afford for medical, you know, where are you at? Do you want to grow up? You know, so I really kind of find those emotional pulls. You know, when you see your children grow up to get married, um, you know, you want to travel, you know, you're yearning to travel. All this big picture stuff sometimes takes a little bit of time. And it's a kind of motivational interview. You know, are you ready? Some people aren't ready. You know, some people may not be ready. Some people are curious. Um, and it's the ones that are committed we know we're going to be able to work with. Some people come back and I say, here's the information. Come back again. You know, if you carry on doing what you carry on, if you're, you know, you're fed up with it and, you, and basically are you sick and tired of being sick, you know, and right. when the client gets to that, then we're, we're kind of there to start working on them, but there has to be a commitment. It's a two way thing. Um, I want to help the client as much as possible, but they also have to help themselves. And that's why I say when the education, when you actually talk about the people like hearing about brains and talking about brains and science, and when they think, oh, my goodness, that's what's causing it. I have now uh, a way out of this uh, with good education, mm -hmm. with good support. A lot of people, um, you know, jump to the idea. Um, but again, I assess and just make absolutely sure that, you know, they are committed to, you know, a wellness program. Um, so not everybody will get it. Um, some people are in the kind of information scale, um, part of, you know, part of motivational interviewing. Some are ready for action. Um, and also some might relapse and we try and get them back on onto a good, good eating very quickly. So, you know, people are at very, very different stages and I think you have to recognise that um, before you decide to, 
you know, implement a, a bespoke program, a tailored program to suit. Exactly. So talking oh, about food, so we- um, and oh, sorry, we're talking about the food actually itself, um, that, you know, I guide people to good nutrition and very, very simple, very simple. We can, we can buy seasonal vegetables um, that, you know, don't cost an awful lot and just add that into your um, meal plan cooking fresh is very important. That's why we get the nutritionists on board. Um, but yes, I do understand there is definitely, and this is where, again, it's on a government le- level, political level, that, you know, introduction of fresh foods is very, very important for people who are probably, you know, further down the socioeconomic scale. Um, but even to have, right. you know, two pieces of something fresh every day to cook, you know, rather than take out. So cook rather than take out. And, you know, have a look with your nutritionist, the, the, the most affordable products and produce, vegetables and um, fruit, etc. And and how to and, and do some cooking. Yeah. Encourage how to cook. Right. Absolutely. So, you know, the the difference, you know, what I see, you know, what what anybody will see, you know, the difference between a lot of addictions, you know, like drug addiction, you talked about you, you do a lot of or you did a lot of work with alcohol addiction, drug addiction, um, those things, you know, you don't, you don't need in your life, but, but food is, is kind of a different situation. Um, you, you need food. And I, I, you know, and I think that's, that's the big difference with, you know, between the different addictions. Um, that's right. what are some, what, if, what are some strategies that you do use, you know, for your, for your clients? Because, you know, working with someone through a drug addiction or alcohol addiction is is one thing, but you know, because they can eventually stop. Like you, you know, you've been twelve years, you know, sober, which is which is a great thing, but you just can't stop eating food. So, you know, what are some of the few strategies that you may you may use with someone who has a food addiction? Um. Well, I'm just going to kind of go back on that statement saying that you can't stop eating food. No, you can't stop eating food. It's readily available. But you can stop eating junk food, right? So that's a different right. thing altogether. Yeah. So there's food and there's... Yeah, there's, there's, absolutely. I wouldn't even class it as food. So, you know, that is that is what I say very, very um, strongly, that there is food and it is readily available, but there's also healthy food and there's, there's, there's um, junk food. So that's... That's that. I go through what the person is going through. So we kind of map out what are stresses, what are triggers, what's a major trigger that help, you know, that um, sparks a binge, um, sparks, an, you know, erratic eating. So we try and map out what is going on during the day. So it's very much, you know, let's have a look at the patient, person's life. Where are the triggers? What causes them to binge? Um what causes those stresses for them to go and say, I'm going to go and get a donut? Is it work? What's happening at work? Is it your boss? How do we have coping hope, coping strategies? For instance, your boss shouts at you. You go and, for example, then you go and go and, you know, eat um, lots and lots and lots of, you know, junk food because of that. So what what's your coping strategy? Well, that your boss is your boss. So we kind of talk, for instance, about, Breathing, breath work, um, removing yourself from the situation, 
um, going for a walk if you can, um, putting something on your um, earphones like a meditation, breath work, um, pick up the phone. And I think support is extremely important. So you have a support network. Um, and I normally suggest probably about four or five people um, in your support network you could, who are just friends or family can just pick up the phone and just say, hey, I feel really stressed. I'm about to go out and binge on something. My boss has shouted at me. And, you know, the person can sometimes kind of de-escalate the situation. They're their buddy. Um, so I, this is what I do. I kind of build up a big support network for that client so that they can always reach out to somebody if they they feel that there's no other way. But there's lots of coping mechanisms, craving techniques, um, hypnosis, tapping techniques. Um, I suggest things like yoga, anything to get them into balance, anything into, into right thinking, um, because all these things kind of help you pause before you between the first thought and the second thought so your first thought is oh my gosh I need to I need to eat something now but things like with meditation and breath work it helps you to have that space to think about what's your second thought and your second thought you know invariably if you're in good good practice with all these things is do I actually need it what is it going to do for me is it going to help me is it going to help my health am I going to go and relapse am I going to there's going to be issues. I'm going to carry on eating again. Um, so it gives, you know, the person that that chance to pause for that second thought, which is, you know, hopefully, no, I don't need that. I know how to cope with my boss. I'm going to go for a walk. Um, I'm going to pick up the phone to somebody or I'm going to do something on my phone. I've got an app, something just to distract me for a few minutes. And before that person knows it, that that craving has passed. So there's lots of strategies depending on the individual that we can employ. Right. So trying to find other ways to manage their emotions other than food. That's right. Yeah. So we're introducing. And, and, and sometimes. Little, yeah. You know, and, and sometimes, you know, those, those emotions are positive. I mean, there's some, you know, yeah. it seems like food is, is, you know, calls for celebration as well. You know, even holidays, you know, Thanksgiving or, mm-hmm. you know, Christmas, we look at, yeah. you know, we think about food. Yes, um, exactly. It is about food. So, for instance, if somebody's going on a celebration and, yeah, that's that, you know, a lot of my clients that have to go out for dinners, etc. we tend to say, look, okay, you know you're going to be around this food, what you could do is have a little something to eat first at home that's healthy and then go in and then beforehand usually find out what is available that's healthy um, so that you can actually go, right, okay, that's what I'm going to choose. Speak to a buddy to say, and again, that's about accountability, that I'm going out for a meal um, and, you know, this is what I aim to do and your buddy will hopefully confirm that for them. Um, so it's a case of accountability again. If you're going to go to a party, you know, again, it's if you make a decision at the beginning and you become aware that there could be food out there that's, that's you know, going to be fattening or not great for you, you make that decision to say, I'm going to have a little something to eat before I go out. If I feel the need, I've got my phone, my friend will call me half an hour, how are you doing? And you find that having accountability buddies is, is very, very powerful. 
until you get to a point where you can go into a restaurant or you can go out and, and consciously say, I don't need that because I know what it's going to do to me. I know that I'm going to go back right. to, to binge eating again. So these are all um, techniques and behavior changes that take place, you know, sometimes quickly, sometimes slowly. You know, it always works, but it, it depends on the client and where they're at. Right, where, where they're at, you know, emotionally and, and things like that. Um, I, I get That's that. Right. So, and, you know, and, in, in yeah, your and initial... Yeah. And no, I'll go ahead if you say, had a thought. And I would say if a client's quite vulnerable and it's early on and uh, we started working with them and they're still feeling vulnerable, then we sort of say, and very much like, you know, me going to a bar, I wouldn't go to a bar now. Um, but I would say to people, look, do you really need to go to that party? You know, is that absolutely 100% necessary, like say for the first month or so? Or can you just say, no, I will, you know, go to the next one? So it's not going to every single party. It's not going to every single um, family family outing. It could be that you might go to every other family outing or church do or whatever. It's tailoring it so that, you know, those temptations, those triggers aren't there all the time. And you can celebrate in different ways. But if somebody's early into my program, I normally suggest if they, and it's not forever, but they can maybe curtail the amount of times that they're going out. It's like with an alcoholic, you wouldn't be going out to a party where there's alcohol um, every single time right. and the hope that you're not, it's not going to hit your lips. You know, you just say to yourself for a period of time, right, um, friends, tell your family, tell your friends, they know what's going on. Please support me. I will not be coming to certain things. Do not be offended. Um, and, uh, and you know, hopefully we'll see you soon when I'm in a better frame of mind and in a better state of health. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, you know, with, with your initial um, appointments with your clients, you know, um, what, what are some of the signs or, or symptoms of food addictions that you've noticed over the the years like what are some things that you see um well people almost always say that they the overriding thought is food during the day that um that's what keeps them going what they're going to eat how they're going to eat it you know hiding food binging so binging large amounts of food um in a short period of time in the day it could be three three two or three meals with you know really really high fat food and they still feel hungry and they eat again. So it's binging, regular binging, uh, withdrawal. So when they, and I say, what happens when you actually, you know, stop, you go cold turkey and they have withdrawal symptoms. They have mood swings. They feel down. They feel irritated, especially if somebody's addicted to sugar as well. There's big, massive highs, big lows, um, sweats, night sweats. Um, they'll probably get up at the night and eat. So it's a compulsion. They com they feel like they've been pushed to eat. It's, it's against their will. They feel like they have no willpower. There's a lot of shame around it as well. A lot of shame, a lot of guilt. Uh, some clients actually feel um, they have suicidal ideations um, because they just feel like they've completely let themselves down, let their families down. Right. Um, so there's a lot of you know withdrawal, shame, guilt, um, triggers, uh, people may have particular triggers that cause them to eat. It could have been loss of, you know, uh, it could be bereavement. It could be loss of 
spouse. It could be so many different triggers. So the signs are compulsion, obsession, withdrawal. Knowing that as well, that they, knowing that they're still, you know, not great, would you do that again the next day? And more often than not, they will say they probably would. Um, eating five pound bags of M&Ms every night um, for one particular client was um, to soothe emotions, to soothe stress. But then she became addicted to it because she was constantly eating them. So again, it was almost like it was against her will. How do you keep someone from from using that as, as an excuse? So, you know, I, I can see someone being like, Hey, I have a food addiction. This is this is this is my life, and using that and, and wanting and wanting to make a make a change, but whenever they, you know, maybe have a relapse or maybe if they overeat at times, instead of wanting to get better, just using that food addiction title as an excuse. You know what what are your what are your thoughts on that? How do you, how do you work with somebody who is just using it I say, as a crutch. Well, I, yeah. Well, I kind of say this from the start, that they have to be committed. If they're going to be on the program, they have to be committed to wellness. So if in that program there's continuing relapses, then I'll just say you're probably not ready yet. And sometimes it's, sometimes you've got to be kind of pragmatic and go, well, maybe Go back out there and continue doing what you're doing and 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 see how you feel. If you feel like you've had enough again, come back and see me. It's like with alcohol. You can't force somebody to stay on a program. If they relapse and want to come back in and jump on and get on with it, fantastic. But if they keep using the excuse, I can't stop, I can't stop, then we'll say, well, you're not sick and tired enough. So, you know, go back out there, try some more drinking, see how that feels. So that's the reality of it, um, that people have to want to get well. So they have to have the big whys, the big reasons, the big big pulls for them to right. be committed um, to stay on the program. Nothing gained sometimes is never easy, that there's always challenges. But the main thing with, with any kind of support around addiction is this huge support for somebody. But if their mind is still telling them that um, they need it, then there's nothing we can do until they really say, look, I'm really, I've done, I'm done, I'm done with it. Um, and let's continue right, and be right. committed and make a declaration really and say a statement to themselves. Um, so not everybody can be on the program, but the ones that do on the program do extremely well. And do you ever work with anyone that may have a chronic disease, like a, a diabetes or anything like that? Because I can only imagine yes. that would add another layer of concerns for someone who has a food addiction. Exactly. And um, that's when we work very closely with the their physicians and their doctors so that we can actually tailor the program. But usually it's um, a much slower um, program. So that there's no big spikes in sugar levels or down. So that's why we work very, very closely with their their medical team, um, so that everything's safely done and gently done. And it is a gentle program, as I said. Quite a lot of it is mindset. Quite a lot of it is is employing strategies to overcome their need to self sabotage. First of all, um, but working very closely with their therapists or psychiatrists, or um, if it's mental health or their physicians, if it's their medical health. 
the, the more and more I dig deeper into the health industry and the longer I'm in it, um, the more I start to realize that there's more to health than just diet and exercise. I mean, the mindset is, is so important. It's so important. And, and being able to be, you know, mindful in, in wellness and, and all of that is just, it's, it's just more than diet and exercise is, is getting to understand where you're at in life and how you can yes. manage. Exactly. And as I said, that's why I have a very holistic approach. So it's not just about, as you said, diet and it's about exercise. That's the last thing I would say that I would start employing. It's mind, body and spirit. So it's it's about there. Where's the person's spirit at? Where's their mind at? Where are their emotions at? You know, what is what is this concoction of emotions that is causing that person to self-sabotage and destroy themselves, really? Um, and that's all got to be looked at. So it's holistic approaches. I call it my ecosystem of wellness. And that is the the system I use to help my clients. So it's an ecosystem of, you know, support, um, strategies, techniques, um, and lots of, you know, and lots of feeling good about themselves. Because a lot of, you know, a lot of people who are, you know, who are suffering from this don't feel great. They have a feeling of low self-worth, low self-esteem. They don't feel good enough, pretty enough, intelligent enough. It's a disease of I am not enough in general. Mm-hmm. So it's it's filling that back up. It's filling that hole in the soul back up so that they do feel good about themselves um, to be able to get, you know, to get well. Well, you know, Dr. Bunmi, thank you so much for um, being on today. You know, at the end of thank every you. episode, I, I like to have the guests um give a give a goal to the people listening um that they can take with them over the next week you know what is um if you can just give us what's what's a good goal for someone who is struggling with food food addiction or may think they have a food addiction what what's a good goal for them um for the next week i think is to look at their big whys i call it the big whys a why you uh, one to stop eating your food addiction. One thing to look at is, you know, why do I want to stop? Why, why do I want to stop? So, what's the biggest why? And to paint that picture, that big version of what they really want to do in life or what they want to achieve. <clears throat> it could be a, a big career goal. It could be family to be able to run around with their children. And it's look at the big why. If they feel that like they're food addicted and they're having issues are they having issues with their health um what's being affected by it so that's number one thing then the next big thing is what is the big why for me wanting to stop right so figure out what's what's the why what's for your future and and why are you doing it for yourself yes Perfect. Well, where can the people find you? If they're wanting to, you know, talk to someone about their food addiction, where, where are you at? You know, where, where can someone find you? Right. I am on um, um, Bummy at thefoodaddictioncoach.co.uk. So that's Bummy at thefoodaddictioncoach.co.uk. Awesome. Well, Thank you for your time. Um, I, <laughs> I really you. appreciated it. 
Thank you for listening to the Smart Talk Podcast, and I will see you next time.